Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth, with events that actually happen, with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 9, My Uncle the Trickster. In this episode, we'll be going through chapters 28 through 31 in Genesis. With the fear of losing both her husband and her son at the same time, Rebekah has Isaac send Jacob back to her brother's household and he ran in the northern Mesopotamian area. So Isaac commands Jacob to take himself a wife from the daughters of Laban, the brother of Rebekah, and blesses him. The blessing that Isaac gives Jacob, no tricks this time, is the blessing of Abraham. Passing on the blessing that Isaac and his father Abraham had received of one day inheriting the promised land. As Esau saw that the Canaanite woman did not please his parents, he decided to marry another woman, this time though it would be the daughter of Ishmael. As Jacob was sent out, it isn't said that anyone went with him, nor does it say that he took any animals to ride along the way. Either way though, he began the 400 mile journey to his uncle's house in Haran, and on this journey he stopped near the city of Luz which is just about 11 miles north of Jerusalem. Although it doesn't sound very comfortable to lay on, Jacob sets up a rock as a pillow and falls asleep. He then begins to have a dream, and this is not just your typical dream, this was a dream from God. When Jacob had fallen asleep, he either saw a ladder or a staircase growing from earth and the top reaching the heavens. It is thought that the ladder or staircase could have been a picture of a zuggerat, just like the Tower of Babel was. The Zuggerat in the Mediterranean area and throughout the world was a temple in which people try to connect earth to heaven, and it would be a high place of worship for their gods. Unlike those other temples though, this was God's, that he had built himself. And on this ladder, or stairway, the angels of God were going up and down between heaven and earth freely. This may have been why when Jacob wakes up from the dream, he renames the place Bethel rather than Luz because it was a house of God, which is what Bethel means. At the top stood the Lord, which he would then give the same promise to Jacob that was given to Abraham, saying that his descendants would be more than the dust of the earth and that his seed would possess the land that he is now in. He also gives Jacob the promise that every family of the world would be blessed through him. This would pertain to Jesus coming through the line of Jacob, in which every family would be blessed. The Lord then concludes the promise by stating that he will be with Jacob until he has done everything that he has promised. In Genesis 28 verse 17, Jacob wakes up and states, How awesome is this place! And sets up his pillow of stone as a pillar, and anoints it with oil and makes a vow to the Lord. In those times, when someone or something was anointed with oil, it meant that that person or place was to be set apart for the Lord. The anointing of oil in Scripture was also a portrayal of the Holy Spirit, being poured out on someone or something. Therefore, when Jacob wakes up and anoints a place with oil, he is setting the place apart for the Lord, because it is the house of God. And Jacob vows if the Lord is with him, as promised, then Jacob would make God his God and serve him as well as give him a tithe, one-tenth of everything that God has given him back to the Lord. 
Jacob would continue on his journey to Haran. Once in Haran, Jacob came to a well in which the shepherds were all standing around waiting for everyone to bring their sheep in so they could all be watered together. While talking with them, one of the daughters of Leban, Rachel, came up to the well because she was a shepherdess for her father. When Jacob saw Rachel, he ran and greeted her with a kiss and began to cry saying that they were related. Hearing this, Rachel would then run to tell her father the news. Leban would then invite Jacob to stay with them, and after a month of being with them, Leban asked Jacob what he would like to be paid. Just because he is a relative doesn't mean that he should work for free, as if a slave. So Jacob names his wages. Leban, whose name means white or bright, had two daughters. The older was Leah, and the younger was Rachel. It was said that Leah, which means weary, had weak eyes. Now the meaning of weak eyes is debated by many scholars. Some just say that she had dull eyes, meaning that she couldn't see very well, possibly due to some kind of disease. Others say that she had weaker eyes because she had blue eyes rather than strong brown eyes. Or it could just mean that she wasn't very good looking at all. However, one thing to look at is the word in the Hebrew language. The word is rack. This word actually means tender. This word is found throughout the Bible. It can also mean delicate, weak, or timid. It could have been that Leah was just more weak in her body, whereas Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Rachel was a shepherdess, who is said to be beautiful of form and appearance. Like her aunt, Rebecca, it is said that she was ripe in appearance. This would be the girl that Jacob would fall in love with. He'd fall so much in love with her that he would ask for his wages to be Rachel, whom he'd work seven years for. And in Genesis 29 verse 20, it says that the seven years seemed as if they were a couple days because he loved her so much. In those days, it was common for a dowry to be given to the father of the bride, almost like the man would purchase or pay a bride price for his wife. However, Jacob didn't have anything to give Leban for his daughter. So he decided to work for Rachel, and with that, then a contract is made. In ancient times, a contract was made between the father and the groom, in which the man would ask for the daughter in marriage. If it was agreed upon, the groom would go to prepare a place for him and his wife to stay. Once he finished building the house and got the approval of his own father, he would go get his bride. The bride would then come out in her wedding garments and a veil across her face. This may help explain what happens next. After serving Levin for seven years, Jacob wanted Rachel to be given to him as a wife. Therefore, Levin prepares a wedding feast for the two of them by inviting all the men of the place. Typically, after the wedding ceremony, the feast would last seven more days. But instead of it being Rachel, Levin sends Leah into the wedding chamber. Unaware of what happened, Jacob doesn't find Rachel in bed with him in the morning, but Leah. Confused as to why he had the wrong girl in his bed, he goes to Leban to find some answers. To this, Leban tells Jacob that in his country, it is not right for the younger sister to get married before the older one. Although it was never brought up in any conversation, Jacob was now married to Leah. Some think that it was a trick that Leban played on Jacob to get him to work for him for another seven more years. During the time that Jacob worked for Leban, Leban had become wealthy because of him. Therefore, it could have been that Leban wanted just to keep Jacob on staff for the benefits. Therefore, Leban offers Rachel to be Jacob's wife only if he works for him for another seven more years. 
However, this deal is a little bit different. Levin says in Genesis 29 verse 27 that after the week-long celebration for the wedding, Rachel can be his wife and then he can work for the seven more years to pay her off. After the week-long celebration, Rachel is given to Jacob as a wife. And it says that in Genesis 29 verse 30 that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, beginning the rivalry between the two sisters. As in the culture of the land of Canaan, when Sarah couldn't bear a child for Abraham, the woman was socially shamed and put down. In some ancient cultures, the marriage contract may have not been completed until the birth of the first child. And it was a disgraceful thing for a woman to not have a child. Therefore, as Jacob worked the seven years for Rachel, the two sisters got caught up in a rivalry that would try to outdo each other with children. It says in Genesis 29 verse 31 that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, so he opened her womb up to bear children. Leah would have multiple children before Rachel would even bear one. The first child was Reuben, which means behold, a son, because Leah said that maybe by giving birth to a son, her husband would love her. The second son would be Simeon, because the Lord had heard that she was unloved, therefore his name means heard. The third son would be Levi, which means to join or to become part of because she had borne three sons to Jacob. The fourth would be Judah, because she will praise the Lord. His name means the praise of the Lord or confession. After Leah had four children, Rachel envied her sister and told Jacob to give her children or she'll die which Jacob snapped back rhetorically, asking her if he was in the position of God to withhold children from her. Therefore, like many barren women in those times, she gives Jacob her maid so that she may have children in the place of Rachel. The maid would carry the child for Rachel because she was unable to have any herself. Rachel's maid would be Bilah. Not much is known about Bilah except her name could mean simplicity, timid, or modesty, and that she would have two children with Jacob. These two children would be considered Rachel's, and she would name them Dan and Naphtali. Dan's name means judge, because Rachel says in Genesis 20 verse 6 that God has judged her and given her a son. Naphtali's name means my wrestling, because Rachel had said that she had wrestled with her sister and had won. This would spur Leah to give Jacob her maid, Zilpha, as well because she had stopped bearing children herself. Again, not much is known about Zilpha. Although her name could mean drooping, but it isn't quite sure what it actually means. She would bear Gad and Asher. Gad's name means band or troop because Leah said that a troop comes. And Asher's name means blessed or happy. Now it has been said about Zilpha and Bilah that they were not just handmaids of the two sisters, but actually they were stepsisters of Leah and Rachel. It is thought by some that Laban had two wives or one wife and a concubine, with which he had Leah and Rachel with his wife. And with his concubine, Laban had two other daughters, Zilpha and Bilah. The rivalry between the two sisters would still continue, even after the birth of many children. In Genesis 30 verse 14, Reuben went out to the field and found some mandrakes. Now mandrakes are a short flowering plant that belongs to the same family as potatoes do. They would have one flower that would either be purple-blue or a green-white flower. The roots of the plant would go down for about two feet or more into the ground. As the root grew, it would spread out, almost looking like the shape of a human being with their arms and legs spread out. 
They are mentioned one other time in the Song of Solomon. In Songs of Solomon 7, verse 13, it's in reference to Solomon and his new wife having deep desire for each other, and the fragrance from the mandrakes caused that desire for one another to only grow. The word mandrake means love-producing, or to love. In ancient times, it is thought that the mandrakes could be used as a love charm, or made into a love potion, so to speak, so that it would spur a couple's desires on for one another, or help with fertility. Through either wearing it, placing it inside the bedchamber, or consuming the root was all believed to help a woman to bear a child. Although this is all just a legend, the plant was actually used as a narcotic in ancient medicine. Therefore, in Genesis 30, verse 14, when Rachel asked Leah to give her some of the mandrakes that her son brought back, she may have been thinking along the lines that the roots would help her bear children. But Leah snaps back to Rachel asking if it's a small thing that she has taken her husband, would she also take her son's mandrakes? Rachel would then offer Leah to take her place with Jacob that night, basically offering Leah the chance to sleep with Jacob and trade for her son's mandrakes. Therefore, that night when Jacob was coming in from the field, Leah met him and told him that he must lie with her that night because she hired him for payment of her son's mandrakes. From this trade, Leah would conceive and bear a fifth son, who she would name Issachar, which means man of reward or hired man, because she said the Lord had given her her wages. Issachar would be Jacob's ninth son. However, this wouldn't be Leah's last child. She would go on to have two more children, another son who she would name Zebulun, which means to dwell or honor because Leah had said that because of another son, for sure Jacob would live and dwell with her because of bearing him six sons. The other child would be a daughter. This is the only daughter mentioned that Jacob had. Her name would be Dinah, which would mean judgment or justice. After all these things, Rachel finally became pregnant herself. In Genesis 30 verse 23, it says that God had taken away her reproach so she named him Joseph and continued to say that God would give her another son. The name of Joseph can either mean remover, increaser, or addition. As this is happening between the sisters, it brings up the question of why Leah was able to have children so quickly and Rachel wasn't. In Genesis 29 verse 31, it says that God saw that Leah was unloved, so he opened up her womb. That's why she was able to have children so quickly, but what about Rachel? It is thought that the birth of Joseph happened just around the time that the purchase price for Rachel was fully paid. Because after the birth of Joseph, Jacob asked to be sent away with his wife and children back to the land of his father. Although this isn't a sure thing, because that would place Leah having a child every year, which could be possible. After telling Levin to send Jacob away because he had finished serving his time for his two wives, Levin doesn't want him to go. Both Levin and Jacob knew that because of Jacob serving Levin, he was blessed by God. Therefore, Levin asked him to stay, to which Jacob agrees, but for different wages this time. Instead of working for his daughters, Jacob wants Levin to give him every speckled, spotted, and striped sheep, now and for the rest of the time that he worked for him. The reason was because those type of sheep were seen as secondary to that of an all-white sheep. But also, those type of sheep were exceptions. Most sheep would be born all white. Therefore, to Leban it looked like it would be a good deal for him. But Leban deceives Jacob yet again. 
When the deal is made, Levin then goes out into the field and finds all the supposed to be Jacob's sheep and rams and removes them from the flock completely. He took all the spotted and speckled sheep and placed them into the hands of his sons, and they took them a three-day journey away. Therefore, all of those wages that Levin was supposed to pay Jacob just got removed from the flock. Starting out with no wages up front, Jacob tries out an interesting style of breeding for the sheep. Because all of the solid-colored sheep were Levin's and the rest were to be Jacob's, Jacob decided to place branches in the water trough to grow his flocks. Jacob takes branches from the green poplar, almond, and chestnut trees and peels back the bark from them so as to make the branches look striped. He would then place the branches into the watering trough where the sheep would come to drink water. That way when the sheep would mate, it would be in front of the branches. When the sheep would give birth to their young, it would either be spotted, speckled, or striped. But Jacob wouldn't just do this for all the sheep. He made sure that it was only done for the strong sheep. Therefore, Levin's sheep would only give birth to weaker and feebler sheep, whereas Jacob would have the offspring of the stronger ones. It is thought that Jacob worked for Levin another six more years, working for the wages of the spotted, speckled, and striped sheep. In Genesis 31 verse 7, it says that Levin changed his wages ten times, and sheep only mate once a year. The sheep were only bearing spotted, speckled, and striped sheep. He would change the wages to only be speckled sheep. But then all the sheep would produce speckled sheep, so Laban would change the wages again to only striped sheep. When this happened, the sheep would only bear striped sheep. No matter how many times Laban changed the wages, the sheep would only bear that type of sheep. And because of this, Jacob would become extremely wealthy. Now when Jacob keeps having his wages changed by Laban, God speaks to Jacob through a dream about the rams and the sheep mating. God tells Jacob that he sees all that Levin is doing to him. And because of that, God reminds Jacob that he was the God that Jacob had met at Bethel, where he had anointed the pillar and to come back to the land of his fathers. When Jacob started to become wealthy, Laban's sons began to complain and would say that Jacob had stolen all of their father's flocks. Jacob also noticed that Levin was no longer favorable towards him. Therefore, Jacob brings both Leah and Rachel out into the field and has a conversation with them. He tells them about the dream that God had given him and how God was calling him back to Canaan. Both Leah and Rachel agree with him by showing how even they have become strangers to their father. So with that, Jacob decides to move unbeknownst to Levin after serving him for 20 years. Jacob would pack up all of his wife, children, and livestock male and female servants, and everything else that he had acquired while living with Levin, and stole away while Levin was off shearing his sheep. But before they left, Rachel steals her father's teraphims. A teraphim was thought to be a small figurine that was actually held by the chief of the clan. Some say that the figurine was used for worship for the people's cultic gods, or they were used in worship of ancestors. Either way, they were small idols of her father's no one knows why she would steal the idols of her father's household. Some say that it may have been because she didn't want her father to use divination to find where they were. Others say that this was just a way to get part of her inheritance that her father had spent that was supposed to belong to her. Or she had yet started to believe in one true God. So she saw these gods as a sign of well-being and prosperity. It could have also been because the gods were made up of precious metals and she wanted to have some type of an inheritance from her father. 
Whatever the reason was, she did steal them. Once packed up, Jacob would begin heading towards the mountains of Gilead, which were on the east side of the Jordan River. This would be about a 300-mile journey. Because Leban was out shearing his sheep, he would not find out about Jacob departing for another three more days. Once finding out, Leban would gather together all of his kinsmen and pursue Jacob for seven days, finally catching up to him in the mountains of Gilead. That would mean that within 10 days, Jacob was able to do 300 miles. However, when Leban was tracking down Jacob, the Lord came to him saying that he should not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. After catching up to Jacob, Leban asked him why he left so suddenly without telling him. He says that if he would have known, he would have sent Jacob off with a great party, as well as have been able to say goodbye to his daughters and grandchildren. Out of his disappointment, Leban says that he could destroy Jacob, but Jacob's God had given him a warning concerning him. Leban then asked why would Jacob steal his gods? In Genesis 31 verse 31, it says that Jacob left so suddenly because he was afraid that Leban would take his wives and children away from him by force. Jacob then says that whoever has his gods would be put to death, not knowing that his most loved wife would be the one to lose her life if they would be found. Therefore, Leban begins the search for his gods, starting with Jacob's tent, but nothing was found. So he went to Leah's tent and still nothing was found. Then he checked both the maid's tents and was not able to find any of his gods. The last tent left to check was Rachel's, but Leban and Jacob weren't the only ones with a couple of tricks up their sleeves. Rachel took her father's gods and placed them into a camel saddlebag, to which she sat on top of. She then apologized to her father for not getting up because she was on her period. So Leban was never able to find the gods. At this point, Jacob snaps. He goes on to tell Leban that for all these years he has worked for him, God has blessed him, and that Jacob took care of everything with his flocks, and that his wages were changed ten times by Leban. Frustrated that after all that Leban had put Jacob through, he calls him a thief. Jacob tells Leban that if it wasn't for God, he would have taken everything from Jacob. Leban refuted Jacob by telling him that everything that Jacob had was his. And then he says, let us make a covenant with one another. So Jacob sets a pillar and then his family gather stones together and create a big pile of rocks. And they say, let God be the witness between each one. Thus the place was called by Leban, Jigar Seyadutha, while Jacob called it Galiad. Both of these names would mean mound of witnesses in Aramaic and Hebrew. One other name is given to the place. Leban then calls it Mizpah which means vision, saying in Genesis 31 verse 49, that may the Lord watch between you and me whenever we are out of one another's sights. Now this may sound like a nice thing to call it, but it isn't at all. Basically what the name means is that both Leban and Jacob didn't trust each other. He's saying that may the Lord watch and judge you if you do anything that is out of line. And with that, both men agree to never cross the pile of rocks to do harm to each other. In essence, they were drawing the line in the sand promised to never cross it again. After agreeing to the terms of the covenant, they had a celebration with much feasting, and in the morning, Laban packed up and headed back to where he was from. The relationship between the two was never strong. Jacob was tricked multiple times by his uncle, and Laban didn't trust Jacob. 
Jacob feared Laban because he thought all of his family would be taken away from him if he left, and Laban knew that he could do it too. But with the family issues behind him, Jacob is now free to go back to the land of his fathers. However, not all family drama is quite finished. With Laban behind him, Jacob looks forward and realizes that the brother that hated him so much was before him. So join us next time as we look to the very beginning of Jacob and his family growing, and not always the prettiest, into the nation of Israel in episode 10, The Homecoming. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. Go ahead and rate and review it, and for ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Also, be sure to tell your friends and family about the show. Thanks. Until next time, remember you are loved, special, and worthwhile.